so this evening, I would like to continue a little bit from some of the things we have mentioned already, a little bit from uh, what Stephen talked in terms of a reactivity. Is, so tonight I want to talk more explaining terms and looking at what we're going to practice so that tomorrow we can really uh, understand very well what we're going to do, if we want to do it, of course. Like all things, it's optional. And so, in a way, we've talked more in general about mindfulness, uh, that we're trying to cultivate a caring, careful, friendly mindfulness, who help us to be more present to our experience within this environment, to what is going on. And then within that, Stephen talked a little bit about reactivity, as we have a tendency to react. And then if we look at more, in a way you could say, granular level, more at a kind of like a micro level, it's interesting to look at what is it in very practical terms that makes us react? What goes on? What's the condition that makes us react? As, I mean, often Stephen will present more the big picture. I am more <laughs> interested in the nuts and bolts. You know, what happened more precisely? And the Buddha also was very interested in that. What goes on? when we grasp, what goes on when we reject? What is one of the kind of elements which seems to have lead to very specific interaction? And that element is actually the second foundation of mindfulness. So you have this text that is widely used, which is called the Satipatthana Sutta, the foundation of mindfulness text. And so you have the first foundation is the body, the breath. And the second foundation is a mindfulness of Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. Then you have the mindfulness of mental state, which you could also say emotional state, the two going together. And then you have the mindfulness of everything else. And so what I want to look at tonight is more the second one, the mindfulness of Vedana. And what is meant by this term? And so this term uh, has been translated often either as feelings or either as sensation depend on the school of thought and the school of practice. In the Vipassana tradition of Goinka, it will be more referred as sensation. In many other traditions, and partly in the new uh, secular mindfulness tradition, often is just referred a little vaguely as feeling. But actually, if we use the term feelings, it's a little uh, problematic in English because we associate feelings with emotion. 
And actually, Vedana is more about what we could call the tonality of experience as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. And I found a very interesting book, a science book. It's always nice to see a book which seems to confirm your idea, but from a different angle. And then the question is, is she talking about the same thing than me? But we're not going there yet. <laughs> and this is Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she has written a book which is called How, How Emotions Are Made. So the book is about emotion. And so she goes about emotion in great detail. But then there is a little passage where she actually talks about interoception. And interoception is a sense we have of how we feel in the body at a very basic way. And she characterizes it as connected to feeling pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So I thought, woo! So in a way, what we're talking when we talk of Vedana is really the tonality of experience upon contact. And then, of course, you have the contact through the senses. You see something, you hear something, you smell something, you taste something, you have a sensation. And you also have a tonality when you think something. One moment you don't have a thought, a thought appears, you're in contact with a thought, and at that moment too, there is a tonality. So that's what I am referring to, that's what the texts are referring to. And the root of Vedana is Vedity. And it's actually about knowing and about experiencing through the senses. So it's kind of like knowing from experience, this tonality. And then, of course, the Buddha would say that his main thesis in terms of the Vedana is that we have an underlying tendencies in regard to this Vedana. So if they are pleasant, there is a certain tendency, unpleasant, another tendency, neutral, another one. And then, of course, this links to this reactivity Stephen is talking about, which is kind of nearly like an automatic reaction in part to this tonality of experience. But often what happens is that you have the contact you have the tonality, and it becomes a more fully-fledged feeling. And then it becomes an emotion. And then it becomes a disturbing emotion. And then we, ah, I am feeling angry, sad, upset, happy, joyous, whatever it might be. So often what happens with Vedana is that actually we become mindful of the result of it. And with the mindfulness of the tonality, we try to be in a way more aware at the beginning. 
And so what I wanted to, to share with you a little bit, because tomorrow in the instruction, I will look more at how to practice, how to do this in terms of the meditation. But tonight, I like to look at kind of like uh, what, what we could say, what has a Vedana to say much about secular dharma, secular practice. And personally, I think when we try to be mindful of the feeling tones, so this is a word I'm going to use, feeling tone, in terms of talking about Vedana in English. But in a way, it's to, from a kind of a Buddhist point of view, looking a little bit at the complexity of the idea. And, and from that, to see that it's really a terrain of exploration and that we can look from that foundation of mindfulness, of the tonality, then we can actually look at many different aspects of our life, but also of practice. So, there is a text, which you can easily find on the internet after the end of the retreat. Not that. And I will leave to you this, because I am going uh, this evening to talk about the 108 types of Vedana. See? So, I mean, you know, this is, you have the whole week to kind of look at this 108. So, you know, you have lots of possibility. And to show that actually there are many different aspects to this idea of the tonality of experience. So, in the text, the Buddha says, in one way, I have spoken of two kinds of tonality, in other way of three, five, six, eighteen, thirty-six, and one hundred and eight tonalities. And then he goes through them. So I'll just go through it and then we'll explore some of it. What are the two tonality? Bodily and mental tonality. This is the first one that often, you know, people might pay more attention to the mental tonality. How do I feel when I think? Or you might notice more the sensation, like in the, the Goinka system. There they would, again, put more uh, emphasis on how does it feel in the body. So you have, how does it feel in the mind? How does it feel in the body? And very much the two also reinforce each other because the two aspects come together. So in terms of language, of course, I'm going to make these categories. The Buddha is making these categories. But as an experience, we experience this as a complex kind of process to be careful of that. Although I am kind of is making category we actually don't experience categories. We experience things coming together a lot of the time. So it's just for the sake of language and explaining. What are the three tonality feeling tones? Pleasant, painful, and neither painful nor pleasant. So that we can really look into that. 
What are the five tonalities? The faculty of pleasure, of pain, of gladness, of sadness, and equanimity. That's an interesting thing. He adds gladness, sadness, and equanimity to the mix. Then what are the six feelings? The feelings born of sense impression through the eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So that's the six simple senses. What are the 18 feeling tone? They are the above six feelings with an approach to the object in gladness, in sadness, and in equanimity. So you got 666-18. And what are the 36 feeling tone? They are the six feelings of gladness based on the household life and six based on renunciation. That's an interesting point here. Six feeling based on sadness, on the household life, or on renunciation. Six feelings of equanimity based on the household life, or on six based on renunciation. That's 36. And then, what are the 108? They are the above 36 of the past, the 36 of the future, and the 36 of the present. So that's interesting because he's really looking at all the kind of types of feeling tone we might experience. And this is an interesting idea. You know, you're sitting here. I mean, you try to be in the present. That's your idea. But suddenly, you have a memory from the past. And a lot of the time, it can be an unpleasant memory of the past, which actually makes the present unpleasant. And we, we sometimes go into the future and think, it's always going to be like this. And then it's transmitted to the future too. So that in a way you have this kind of unpleasant past moving to this unpleasant present, moving to this unpleasant future. Personally, I would think the present would be enough. <laughs> but there we can have, woof. But of course, we can have pleasant in the past, which we can bring pleasant in the present, and then we can go pleasant in the future. I mean, it works at all levels, not just at the unpleasant one. So that's interesting to notice that you're sitting here and very likely, time to time, you might have experiences yesterday and today, hmm, a little in the past. What's the tonality of that? And that tonality of the past, what does it do to the tonality of the present? Or I might be a little in the future. Hmm, what's the tonality of that? And how that changed the tonality of now? And, and that's just interesting. I think it's very important to see we are not judging the tonality. This is very important. 
it's not that pleasant is better, unpleasant is worse, or unpleasant is better, or pleasant is worse, or neutral. I mean, often people think neutral is better, but neither. I mean, there is, this is not about judgment. This is about how it's there. This is what is interesting with tonality. It's there. Just a little experiment. Colors. I presume colors have not done anything to you. I mean, red does not attack you. Green does not try to be pleasant to you. Say, mm, I'm green. Mm, you like me, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it's just color, you know? But we see red, and immediately there is a tonality. And then there is an interesting point in terms of color. Is it a color as in paint or color as in a t-shirt? Or is it color as in the color of the plant? And if you look at a green t-shirt, or if we look at the green of a plant, the tonality is different. What happened? Perception. Perception is totally connected to tonality, but I'm not sure we'll have the time to go into that. We'll see. So in a way, this is interesting. You look at the green color of a t-shirt, and you look at a green leaf. And then the green, I mean, it's a color, but the tonality is very different, unless you're really fanatic about green color. Generally, unless we are, again, allergic to plants, which is something else, you see a green plant, and the, the tonality will be generally more pleasant. Then you just see green color. So again, this is an interesting, how perception, this is very key, perception with tonality. Let's go back a little and then we go back up and down the text a little bit and don't worry, I'll put the text out there. Let's look at the basic tonality in terms of pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. And so there, what is interesting in terms of the practice, and we'll talk more about, about this tomorrow morning, is that you're going to see that there is a range. And actually, mindfulness of the tonality are going to help you to extend the range. I see this as one of the function of actually the mindfulness of tonality that we have a strange, kind of unbalanced, you could say, connection to the different tonality. I would suggest that to really, mm, that's great, that's pleasant. Actually, if you have a scale of zero to 10, you need plus five to think, wow, that's pleasant. And under plus five is like, oh, it's okay. But if you have an unpleasant feeling tone, 
of minus 0 0.5, we have this kind of like, scientifically, they've kind of observed that we react faster to smaller unpleasant than to a bigger pleasant. We have this kind of faster reaction. And of course, this is a survival evolutionary mechanism, of course. So we have a slide. So then what happens very easily is that we might easily mix up unpleasant minus one and unpleasant minus 10. But they're very different. So in a way, the mindfulness of the feeling tone is helping us to see, hey, there is a range between zero to minus 10. And there is an equal range to zero to plus 10. So actually, it's going to increase both in terms of the, the difference. So to see there are actually a lot of unpleasant, but some of it is small and pass quickly, actually. And again, some of the pleasant is also there, and we could enjoy it. So in a way, to be careful to think that the mindfulness is actually becoming a radar for negative state. Not. This really is not the aim of the exercise. But actually, to be as aware, and I think that's why the mindfulness of the feeling tone is important, to be as aware of the different unpleasant tonality as to the pleasant tonality as to the neither. So the neither is a difficult category because you could translate it to make it simple as neutral. So not much is happening. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant, neutral. But how are we with neutral? And there is actually, within the Buddhist tradition, a big question about neutral, about this neither. Because it's talked about in detail in the sutta. It has even a name, but it's kind of like that long. So we're not going to go there, but you can find it. I even have it in one of my paper, but... It's a bit low for me to remember. So basically that neutral, to me that's, a, I'm very interested in neutral. But it doesn't mean the aim of the meditation is that everything become neutral. That we have to be very careful about. This is not it. But that the neutral, is it a reality or is it a concept? which is useful, that, who knows? Because, for example, Stephen doesn't believe neutral exists because there is, a, there is this wonderful quote from an, a nun from ancient time. And so she says, as long as a pleasant feeling tone continues, it's pleasant. But when it stops, it can become unpleasant. That is a point to also look at. The fact that sometimes you have a very pleasant experience. Then it stops. And instead of 
coming back to what I would call the baseline of neutral, just the fact that the unpleasant, the pleasant stop, that becomes unpleasant. And that's something to watch out for because you had such a pleasant mood, and this is something we'll talk more about today, and it's kind of like you have this lingering impression, I am great. But actually, it stopped a little while ago. And that created an unpleasant feeling to you're not aware of. And then you might talk nastily to somebody and you have no idea why. They've not done anything. And that's what is interesting with tonality, is that they're very, they influence you greatly. And then you, hmm, why am I talking nastily? Then if you go back, ah, when the thing stopped and changed. Or she goes on to say, as long as unpleasant tonality continues, it's unpleasant. But when it stops, hey, it can become pleasant. Just a stopping of pain is pleasant. You don't have a headache or sciatica ache or stomachache and you feel like, isn't it great? I don't have a stomachache or whatever it is. But then after a week, you forget. And then it's back to neutral. But then you have neutral, neither. And the nun says, if you understand neutral, it becomes pleasant. If you don't understand neutral, it can become unpleasant. And I would say nowadays, extremely unpleasant. And I have my little theory that it's because of the romantics, but we won't go there. So in a way, this is interesting. Personally, I would see neutral as like a baseline, a little bit like homeostasis, not the same, but the fact that we cannot always be up or down, and time to time, the organism has to rest. And so the neutral could be more like a baseline. We go up and down, and time to time, we rest. And one of the advantages of neutral, I would say, is that at least it's not bad. At least it's not unpleasant. But if you associate it, and then with neutral, you have the big association with perception. Not much is happening. I am bored, this is boring, my life is boring, there is no meaning in my life. And, and actually just from this kind of nothing happening, you can get in quite uh, a dark state, a little like Marion Cotillard on her film, you know, everything, nothing happening, nothing happening, waiting, waiting, waiting. I mean, nothing bad was happening. <clears throat> but it was very unpleasant. It became very unpleasant. So that's interesting in terms of neutral. And I would say one of the big uh, feeling tone we experience on retreat is neutral, actually. Neither. I mean, ah, time to time it's a little pleasant, time to time it's a little unpleasant, but... 
a lot of the time, possibly not much has happened yet, one way or another. And I think in a way, part of the practice is to actually, not that everything becomes neutral, but actually we discover how to be with this neither, which happen a lot of the time, but not all the time. And which personally I would associate with, oh, nothing is happening, it's restful. But then one can have different kind of look at that. And then, you have the, the 36. And what does he say in the 36? Something you might not have heard about before is a feeling tone associated with house or life or based on renunciation. That's an interesting one. And one of the one he talks about is a feeling of equanimity. So often, neutral, the tonality which is neutral, is associated with equanimity. But in another text, the Buddha says, he kind of gives a little more precision with this equanimity, which he relates to the neutral feeling tone, is that it can be based on household life or it can be based on renunciation. What does it mean? What does he mean by that? The first one, household life, it means ordinary life. And it means ordinary equanimity. And it's like, I don't care. Okay. Well, it's okay. Never mind. So it's kind of like you could nearly equate it a little bit to fatalism. Well, all right. It's okay. I accept this. But I think to me this is not what I would call creative acceptance. It's more kind of like resignation, indifference. But that's not what the Buddha is talking about when he's talking about equanimity. And he says equanimity, so equanimity based on renunciation is an equanimity which is based on a deep exploration of impermanence, of dukkha, of the fact that things are unreliable, are unsatisfactory because they cannot be satisfying forever because they are impermanent, and by understanding conditionality. So in a way, what he is saying, you can have an equanimity, which is kind of ordinary, and is not going to change much for yourself and others. Or you can develop an equanimity which is based on a deep understanding and experience of impermanence, of unreliability, of conditionality, and for me, which then will give rise to compassion 
And so in a way, that equanimity will be imbued with what I would call creative wise compassion. So in a way, we have to see, this is again the, the term equanimity is a big subject here. But it's interesting because he talks about also, hopefully, oops, he will find his way out. We hope so. Can we open the side door just in case? And everything is open, so hopefully he will go out. Yes, no. Ah, ah, getting closer. So if we leave him alone, he might choop, go through the window. And then he talks in a way, the sixth feeling of gladness based on ordinary life or based on renunciation. And it's interesting, of course, gladness. This is a good idea. And then gladness based on renunciation based from understanding impermanence, based on understanding suffering, based on understanding conditionality. So he's not saying just be equanimous regardless. He's saying you can be equanimous. You can also be glad in that deep, creative, wise, compassionate way. But you can also be sad in that deep, creative, wise way. That, I think, is very interesting. Do you know the difference between being glad in an ordinary way and in a deep, wise, compassionate way? Being sad in an ordinary way or in a deep, wise way. And equanimous the same. Again, what this is interesting here is that it extends the range. The Buddha is not saying, you know, just become like robots. He's saying we are human beings. We have a full range of tonality of experience based on many different things. And gladness is part of that. And sadness is part of that. And equanimity is part of that too. So now let's look a little bit at the feeling born from sense impression. Because actually, this is what we're going to work with, basically. The fact that how can we be aware of tonality? We're generally aware of tonality through contact. And so, with what we see, and we hope for the bird, with what we hear, with what we smell, with what we taste, with what we sense, ah well, if you're clever, <laughs> you will make it, but do we have a clever bird or not? <laughs> this is a question. Yes, we got a clever bird. Is tonality indicated out, out? <laughs> so, 
what we have to see, I think one of the other things I want to point out is that there in a way a difference between having a pleasant feeling tone which is plus one. It's kind of little, not much. To having a pleasant feeling tone plus five. To having a pleasant feeling tone, ten. And at the same time, all these tonality are impermanent. But that we look more at tomorrow. So what he, when we talk about tonality, what we have to see is the underlying mechanism. That if it's not much, we don't notice it very much. And generally, unless we're very sensitive to it, there is not much reactivity, especially with the pleasant one. But once we go up the plus five, then generally the underlying tendency comes stronger. Hmm, I like this. So that you can really do with uh, food. You know, you, I, mean, I think, I'm not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday's a cake. Tuesday, so tomorrow, you might have a cake. And you see, it's interesting. Uh, you eat the cake. You put the first, let's say it's a good one. You know, let's say it's a chocolate cake. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, here, you're more likely to have a carrot cake, but let's take a chocolate cake and you're okay with chocolate. So you eat your chocolate cake. And you just have the first mouthful. Mm, wow. And before you even chewed it, and you still have the piece of cake, you're already thinking, mm, I want more. Isn't that interesting? You know, that immediately, because it's pleasant, I want more before I even finished it. So noticing that. Can I just savor it? And when I finish it, see, you know, do I still have some place? Is there still left or whatever? But just first, the idea of the mindfulness is to notice it. It's really not to judge it. But to notice it, hmm, I want more. That's the first thing. The second one is I want to repeat it. And this we do again and again. We've, uh, we spend weekend with friends and you have a wonderful time and they leave the door and you say, let's do this again. What are we saying? We're saying, let's repeat exactly the same pleasant feeling tone we just experienced for the last 48 hours. It doesn't mean you cannot meet again with your friend, have a weekend together, but you cannot have exactly the same tonality. You can have another one, another pleasant one, but we cannot reproduce it. But often we spend a lot of our time trying to reproduce tonality, pleasant tonality, which in a way are not reproducible. Uh, should I tell my mushroom study, my mushroom story? Uh, I nearly repeated it this year, but uh, it was too hot to go and eat mushroom. Otherwise, I could have checked it out. So I have a theory. 
about pleasant feeling tone, intense new pleasant feeling tone, because the newness comes into it too. So after many years, I go, I'm in uh, Vienna, and we go to a restaurant, and the only thing I can eat is my favorite food, uh, mushrooms, chanterelle. Mm -hmm. So I get a plate of chanterelle, and each of them is mm, plus nine. <laughs> so I appreciate each one. And then I go outside of the restaurant, and I bring the chanterelle to mind, and just the memory of it, of it is still plus seven. Mmm, those chanterelles. And then took, it's possible, and so the next day I uh, took, kind of confirm my theory. I go back to the restaurant, same time, same plate of uh, chanterelle, and I eat the first one, and it's okay. Actually, it's gone down to plus six. <laughs> so I eat my plate of chanterelle plus six and then I go out of the restaurant then I checked and the memory has gone down to plus four and this is something that happens often with new things which you will have wow, in comparison it will heighten actually the gladness but you cannot reproduce with something which is not new anymore, the same newness. And we have to be careful because this is something that often happens with meditation. That actually, when we do meditation, especially at the beginning, we can have wonderful experience. Wow, I don't have any thought. Wow, the thoughts are not mine. Wow or you feel very calm, or you feel different things. And you think, wow, this is amazing. But it's amazing in contrast to how you felt before. The more you meditate, the more regular it becomes. And there is not that newness, that contrast. And so 10 years later, but it's not the same. But because you've changed, it's kind of very different. The contrast is very different. To be a little careful with that. Then with the unpleasant, that is interesting to see what happened, and Stephen must have talked about this in terms of the reactivity to unpleasant. Because we react very fast to a little unpleasant, then make everything nearly the same. And in a way, Part of the practice, I feel, is to see, hmm, this is light, unpleasant. And often, we can just for, wait for it to pass. Then you have a little more, kind of a little more kind of dense, a little more denser, minus four, minus five, unpleasant, which is also little repetitive. But because it's repetitive, you might get the impression it's always there, waiting to happen. And I would suggest not. But it feels similar. And then what becomes interesting in terms of meditation is in terms of condition. I don't always feel this unpleasant feeling tone. But it's very similar to previous unpleasant feeling tone. So here you have two things that happen. 
One is that in similar condition, I'm going to experience similar unpleasant feeling tone. And the second thing we do is that we associate very fast. This unpleasant feeling tone now resembles very much to a past unpleasant feeling tone. And then we associate it with what is in the past, then associate it with what is in the future, and then we really amplify it. Which then makes it very hard to creatively engage with it because now it's much more amplified than what is this unpleasant feeling tone which arose upon certain conditions. And then we can explore this condition and what shifts the condition. And then also the difference if it's very unpleasant, then this is really tough. Because when we, then it's what I would call dukkha dukkha. It's really the pain of suffering. So we might have mental pain, physical pain, emotional pain, many different types of pain. And there is, we have to be careful, it's not how can I be with this? Because we are with it anyway. And we must be careful of this idea, no matter what happened with the mindfulness, I must go deeper into it. This is where it's not a good idea to go deeper into it because you're deeper into it anyway. So there is not much point on intensifying that depth because you're already experiencing it. And then what can be maybe more helpful is actually how can I bring a little space within that intensity so there is less of an amplifying effect. And that's where we can use the breath not to push the pain away, but just to leave it a little more for just a few seconds, a little bit in the background. So we get a little respite. Then we go back to the pain, then a little respite. And that's what is kind of, in a way, very useful there. So it does not totalize it. And then also back to the association. And then it really tires the whole system. And then possibly then there can be more creative engagement with it. And we can also know at some point it will pass even if it's intense now. So that's what I wanted to say for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.